to, uh, to actually John chapter 15. So if you'll join me in a reading from the Scripture from John chapter 15. And you'll remember that a couple weeks back we actually visited this same chapter, chapter 15 of John. And we were a little further down than what we'll be today. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Uh, we started in 12 last time. And you'll remember that this is a very unique part in the Gospel of John. Just to give you some context here, uh, this is the very night that Jesus is betrayed. It's the night where He institutes the Lord's Supper. All right, This is where in John we get the account that He actually washes the disciples' feet. Uh, so... Here, what happens is he washes their feet. He says some very private things to them in chapter 14. And then what you have in 15 is them marching, walking to Gethsemane. And as he's going down the way, obviously they're passing trees. And notice what is said here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in Him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be My disciples. As the Father has loved Me, so I have loved you. Abide in My love. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that My joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for uttering these words to Your disciples on the very night You were betrayed. Lord, people speak very important things before they die. And this is moments before, Lord, You would go to the cross. So help us take what you say here to heart and do it today, we pray in your most holy name, amen. We have all been given warnings before. And really, warnings are not always a bad thing. You know, if you drive too fast, you're going to have a wreck. Okay? All right. I've kind of disproven that over the years, but nonetheless, uh, you know, it is a warning that is for my benefit. Uh, people, I warn my kids all the time, don't do this or this will happen. 
you know, some people have a beef and say, you know, really, you know, the church should be uh, just a place where we talk about positive things. There really should never be any negativity. You shouldn't mention sin. You should never mention hell, of course, which I've already broken that rule this morning. And they say it should really be an affirming place only and not one that warns or criticizes or judges. And yet, that's just simply not what the Bible calls us to. Amen. It just simply is not. I wish it were. I don't like, to, I don't like negativity. I don't like having to tell people they're wrong on something. I don't like that. Uh, most of the time when I'm teaching at Calhoun and somebody does say something wrong, I try to twist it to where it sounds right. Sometimes it's just un, unredeemable, but nonetheless, I try my best to help uh, make the person in the best light as possible. Um, the Bible is full of warnings. Full of warnings. It's in particular, in the Old Testament, don't we get just almost the Bible majoring in warning? And in, in the New Testament, majoring in affirmation and positivity. And this is true. This is true. But even in the New Testament, where it majors in maybe the positive, there are still these stabs, these instances where Jesus and Paul and others will warn us very gravely. Remind us, really, of the Old Testament. And I think what's going on, honestly, is the same thing that happens in my household day in and day out. And that is, Jessica and I spew negativity and warnings all the time. When you have four people under eight, that's pretty much all you do. Don't do this. Don't say that. Don't hit your brother. You know, don't pop him in the eye. Don't squeeze you know, your, your brother's arm like that. Uh, you know, it's, it's don't do this. Don't touch that. Because if you don't do that, then you know, they're going to be hurt. They're going to be possibly killed. Uh, so Jessica and myself really come... And you parents, you know what I, exactly what I'm talking about. You have to come across as this negative, you know, just concerned with what we can't do person. But you know what? Really? It's love that drives me. I don't even like to say don't do it. I'd hate to hear myself talking and telling them don't do this and don't do it and having to constantly remind. I don't want to do it. I don't like it. But I do it because I absolutely love them. And in order for them to be a productive person in society, they need to know the first, the things they don't need to do before they know the things that they actually can do. They need to know those parameters. And so do we. And I think in the Old Testament, God is our Father, isn't He? And He's got the children of Israel. And so He comes across a little more negative, And rightly so. Because we need it. Because He loves us. And here, in our passage today, tucked away in some of Jesus' last words. Very important. When, when people get on their deathbed, they don't start talking about the movies they wish they would have watched. Or the alcohol they wish they would have consumed. That's not what you talk about when you're on your deathbed. When you're on your deathbed, you want those who love you surrounding you. You wish you had more time with people, not with things. You're not wishing you'd go sit in your Mercedes. Instead, you want to be with those that you love. Jesus is speaking here sort of on His deathbed. This is it. This is a Thursday night. He'll be crucified on a Friday. And He warns us. 
By warning the disciples, He warns us. This morning, this John 15 passage that we often look at is very positive, abiding in the vine, is also a warning. I would point you to several places here in verse 2, who does not bear fruit. He doesn't start with the positive, he starts with the negative. Just like Psalm 1, blessed is the person who does not do these things. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, this is going to happen. Notice verse 10, if you keep my commandments. Verse 7, if you abide in me, this is conditional, this is a warning, this is a choice that you have to make. Are you going to abide in him? Are you going to keep his commandments? This is a decision we are given. And Jesus warns us about this decision. How is it that an NFL player that maybe come up through college and was a star gets in the NFL and I mean he's a you know he's he's a stud he's he's a star at his position and yet if he's on a terrible team they're not going to do anything even he is affected by the team's uh, playing you know power and yet a mediocre player can play on a really good team and they go to the Super Bowl and win. It's because of teamwork. Uh, there's a show that my kids watch that gets stuck in my head, and it's Wonder Pets. I don't know if you've ever heard of these guys, but it's actually pretty pretty cool little cartoon. But you know, it's it's Wonder Pet, Wonder Pets. You know, they're going to save the day. And what is their big thing? It's teamwork. Teamwork. What's going to work? Teamwork. That's the you know, and just constantly just. So this week in preparation, you know, all I can hear is these animals talking to me, saying, "What's going to work? Teamwork." You know, I'm thinking. They may be on to something, you know. Maybe that's the truth. Because apparently here for Jesus, we can do nothing apart from Him. Did you catch that? It wasn't, you'll do alright. You know, without me, you'll be fine. I mean, you can make it. You know, you just, no. Without Him, without abiding in Jesus. You say, help me translate abide there. Remaining in Jesus. Without making your home in Jesus, you will do nothing. That's strong words from God. So, Zig Ziglar tells a story about Belgian horses. And I'm not one to know much about horses, but uh, he says this, he says, you know, the Belgian horse is like seven foot tall, um, if not taller. They're huge animals. I saw pictures of them uh, this week online as I looked them up. And he says, he says this about the Belgian horse, that, that the Belgian horse, one horse can pull 8,000 pounds. Now, that's, that's a Ford F-150, you realize. Like that's, that's the towing capacity of a Ford F-150. One horse can, can rock it out like that, all right? Uh, well, you put two horses together, uh, and their, their power of two different horses, and you got 16,000. Uh, but if you are to teach, if you can actually teach the two horses to work together in stride, then they can actually pull 32,000 pounds. That's insane. That, you know, there, there's, no, there's one truck, actually, just one. It's the CRXT or something like this. One of those trucks that pulls like an 18-wheeler thing. You, know. you have to get into tractors and everything else to get to that kind of towing capacity. What's the point again? The point is, one horse can only do 8,000. But you end up... Uh, Four times the power of one horse 
when they work together. Just two of them working together. It's clear. All around us in nature, when things work together, there's more power involved. And hear what Jesus is saying. Look, if you are not in Me, you're going to do nothing. But if you are in Me, inexhaustible fruit. Not just one kind of one season of your life. Inexhaustible fruit. You will constantly produce fruit in your season, just as Psalm 1 again tells us. And you will not wither away and be thrown into the fire, as Jesus warns here, but instead you will remain in the vine, in the, the trunk of the tree, as the branch. You know, this... this uh, this passage here in John 15 really is very well known by most people. I mean, most, most people have this image. Jesus uses nature images, which are really nice because, you know, if He used like an iPhone, that might not be around a thousand years from now. And it hasn't been around for thousands of years. So that's really a temporal illustration. Whereas, if you use a tree, trees are going to be around. <laughs> trees aren't going anywhere. If trees go somewhere, we're going somewhere. And it's not a good place. So, He uses this image that really really is very vivid for us. And we are the branches in this, in this schema. Uh, he is the vine. And again, one of the most popular farming things in Judah of, his, of Jesus' day was, was a vineyard. If you owned a vineyard, you were actually, that was a really rich position to be in. Uh, making wine, this sort of thing, was actually a very prestigious job. And it was something that the Jews took very, even to this day, they take it very seriously, they're grapes. Um, so when he says the vine, you know, we could really translate for our situation, the trunk of the tree. Jesus is the trunk. He's the, he's the root. He's the stump. Even as Isaiah said, the stump of Jesse, that root that comes out of that is going to be salvation for us. And so you've got this image play all throughout the Bible of Jesus ultimately or God being the vine. And so He is the vine He's the main source. He's notice what he says, and this is something you just if you're in a in a in a contemporary or just a regular reading here, you really wouldn't catch this. I am the true vine. Now, if he says I am the true vine, he means there are other vines out there that you can connect to that really are not going to be the truth. He's the original one. What does Paul later on say? Paul says, Look, in Jesus we were all created. All things were created by Him, for Him, through Him. Notice those prepositional motions and directions. All things are in Him, and in Him all things hold together. That's what Paul says. Without Him again, nothing. With Him, everything. It's why... When the early church was persecuted, you know, we just heard some horrific events this past week of a Jordanian pilot burned to death. Maybe some of you even saw portions of the video. You saw it reported. You read about it. Awful. It's terrible. It's, we don't even know how to process that. And yet, in Rome, they would put Christians on poles dipped in tar and let them burn. And the tar would let them burn through the night. It wasn't just some quick death. It was a slow one. Or they literally cooked on poles as, as Nero rode through his garden looking at his flowers and trees by the light of Christians burning. 
And yet, these Christians, were, there were reports that these Christians actually went to the stake singing, joyfully embracing their own death and tor- How is that even possible? It's because of what Jesus is talking about here. They have everything. You say, whatever. They have, their world is being taken from them. No. It's just like what Jesus has a conversation with Pilate, right? Pilate says, look, don't you understand? I can actually kill you. Like I have the, All I got to do is do a signature and you're done. She says, you don't have any power except for what has been given to you by my Father. Might I remind you? And yet, Jesus does not use His own power to get out of the situation, does He? No. No. No, when you have nothing of this world but have Jesus, you have everything. And when you have everything in this world but don't have Jesus, you have nothing. Nothing. You say, how are really rich people not satisfied with their life? I mean, if I had this much of money, I would absolutely be happy about that. I mean, you realize you're a rich person that's talking compared to someone in India, compared to someone in Africa, compared to someone in China. You're filthy rich compared to them. You say, yeah, but I just make a modest income. Yeah, but that, that's, you live here. You live in America. Look at the things that you carry in your pocket alone. It's more, more wages than they can make sometimes in a year. Your cell phone, your $550 cell phone. It's unthinkable, and yet here we are. How can rich people... It's just because when you get rich, it's just the next guy that's got more, and the next guy, and the next guy, and the next guy. It's never enough. The lot, Look, money's a great thing. We have to have it. You have to have money to live. If you don't, then you're not going to be able to minister. Well, it's not money that's a problem. Instead, it's the love of money, isn't it? We are not to abide in our money, in our things, but instead in Jesus. It's fine to have a, an Audi. S8. Justin and I used to dream about having one of those. You know. I mean, that's, all, that's basically a sports car. you know, A racing car. That's great. That's fantastic. But to love it, that's a different story. To love these things over people, then you've crossed a line. No, we are to abide in persons. Namely, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that what He's calling us to? <laughs> I love the... Uh, you know, and really, if, if, you, if you, you say, I don't know about this whole Holy Trinity thing. Like, I really don't. The, the word Trinity is not even used in the Bible, so I don't know why Christians would believe. Listen, you can't read John 13 through 17 without telling me that, he, that Jesus Himself makes distinctions between Him and the Father and the Spirit. Amen. <laughs> it is plainly seen. Notice, I am the vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Actually, you don't use the King James much, but when I do use it, I use it on purpose. Uh, and the reason I use it here is because vine dresser is actually translated husbandman. He's our husband. He actually is the one that cares for us, the caretaker, the nurturer here in the sense that he's actually got it. That, that term husbandman actually has its roots in the dirt. And so he's got his hands in the dirt. 
Uh, the Scripture actually tells us in the Old Testament that we are His dirt. And notice this, when we talk, when we talk about, you know, again, Ash Wednesday's coming up, what am I, you know, when I am able to thumb on you the sign of the cross in ashes, you know, from ashes or from dust, you actually came and to dust you shall return. It's a reminder of our own mortality. We did not choose to exist. Instead, it was a gift. And most of us are not going to choose when we cease to exist. And therefore, this is all a gift. Life is all a gift. Um, And so we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. That's a powerful thought. Uh, You know, inevitably in teaching, you have people say, man, that, that is really... An awesome teaching. You know, you did a good job. And I just think to myself, you know, and I appreciate that because part of it is communication, the way you communicate it. But the other part is something that's just simply been handed to me. Handed to you. When you help somebody understand something, you're helping them understand something that somebody else helped you understand. Amen. Um, you know, I always use the, the illustration just because it's so powerful. And I actually talked to uh, the guy who gave it to me recently on a Sunday night at my dad's church, Mike Glenn. But he tells the story that he was in Huntsville Hospital, uh, and and he was you know he was training to be a, a nurse at this point, and um, he was in the room with this surgeon when when the surgeon came in to tell the family how well the surgery went, right? And the guy just went through some kind of you know major heart surgery, cardiologist, and uh, and and he, and he came in there, you know, and, and he tells the lady, the older lady, how her husband did, surgery went great, yada yada, and the lady says, well. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, I'm just so so thankful. He said, "Why are you praising him? I'm the one who did the surgery." That's here in Huntsville, by the way. It's not like it's all off in you know uh, Seattle or somewhere you know where we normally think of as a little little off. No, no. Figured I'd get nothing against Seattle. Okay, no, I know we're online here. Okay, yeah, I, I thought about it beforehand, but nothing against Seattle. I'm just saying, and we normally think of them as liberals, and it is actually. If you look them up, it's one of the more liberal places in the world. But uh, <laughs> you guys are funny. You're really funny. Um, no, no. See, no. What God has called us to is He's called us to stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And that makes us stronger people. Not living for ourselves, not living by ourselves, but instead we see that everything in our life, from our surgical procedures to the instruments, to the gauze, to the temperature in the room, to the who cleaned the room, to the sheets, all the way to the idea of medicine in general, does not come from one person, but instead comes from a whole host of lines of people and and jobs and opportunities and gifts. It's not just a one-man show. It's a gift. And if we don't recognize that, we're blinded by our own self. And quite frankly, no one likes to be around people who are blinded by self. There's never been a movie where the hero, where we really cheered for the hero, if they were just completely absorbed with their self. Instead, that's typically the villain. If you notice in our movies, self-sacrifice is the key to true love. Not self-seeking love. I mean, Valentine's Day is right upon us, right? And if you watch some of these 
movie like you know Jessica inevitably makes me watch these chick flicks and and I have to I have to see how love is portrayed in these and I you know in order for me to bear through most of them I, I just make a project of it to say I'm going to interpret what what they're trying to tell me you know in other words what are they trying to tell me about love and most of the time she's not very keen on the in, inside I have but nonetheless she enjoys the movie and you know some of them are okay the good ones the good ones are where someone does something sacrificially. That's where you start tearing up. That's where you start really... Yeah, that's why some, certain war movies really strike the heart of us is because it's not about somebody... I mean, you know, saving tail, run, you know, running away from the fight. Nobody gets a medal for running away from the fight. They do get a medal for laying down their life selflessly for the sake of others. Now, why does that mean anything? In a world of relativism... Why does that matter? In an evolutionary schema, running away from the fight makes sense. Not running to it. Not for the sake of somebody else. To save somebody else? (laughs) Yeah, right. Dog-eat-dog world. No, we know that's not our world. We know that doesn't correlate with true reality. True reality calls us to lay down our life for our friends. And this is a quote from Jesus. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it never becomes anything other than just a grain of wheat. But if it falls into the ground and dies and germinates and becomes something other than itself, it will bear much fruit. This is what we're called to do. As you know, in John 15, this is one of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. John is a very unique book. If you've never read it, you really, I challenge you to read it this week. It's a very powerful book. Jesus says here, I am the true vine. Elsewhere, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this last one we find in John 15.1, it's the last of the I am statements, is I am the vine. I'm the source. I'm the source of all of that. Of everything. And He even says in John 8, He tells the Jews, and this is really what, where they start wanting to kill Him, is He says, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> now for them, Abraham is the beginning, you realize. That's the beginning of their nation. The beginning of their calling. It really truly in Genesis 12 is the beginning of salvation for us. Before that, you're just kind of floating out there 1-11, through some crazy things are happening. 12, things begin to roll in our direction. Why? Because of Abraham. And they saw themselves as children of Abraham. And Jesus says, yeah, well, before Abraham was, I am. I existed. And we know that's a playoff of Yahweh. Yahweh means I am. And Jesus literally says in the Greek, ego eimi, which is I, I myself. He is the center. Jesus is the center of Christianity. Jesus must be the center of your own operating system. Your own heart. If not, you're not Christian. That's not me judging you or whatever we call it today. 
That's me simply telling you what the Scripture says. If you are not in the vine, you're not doing Christianity. You're doing something else. He says He's the true vine, which means there's false ones. One false vine in our world that you may know, we have it in the South, is the kudzu vine. You, you know these? You, know, you, you go up to the North and start mentioning kudzu, they're going to look at you funny. You know, I got some kudzu jam. They're like, you're from Alabama, aren't you? You know what I mean? Uh, kudzu is that green vine that grows on other trees and other plants and shrubs. You'll see sometimes, you look down in a valley, maybe driving down the road, you'll see kudzu just has taken over the entire valley. Large trees used to stand there. They do not any longer. And kudzu is just a simple little vine. I mean, you could literally break it with your, with your fingers. But the power is in its number. It's like cancer. You know, it starts off very small. You know, I mean, you say, well, look, i got all these good cells. I only have a couple bad ones. Well, let me tell you, with cancer, that's going to spread. And it gets into, it's like a virus. If you think in computer terms, it's like a virus. A little bitty thing that can destroy the entire system. Kudzu's like that, isn't it? And so is sin. Sin is that false vine that begins to grow into our life. And we say to ourselves, you know, look, here's all my good works, but I only have this one little thing. I mean, you know, this is just... Uh, kind of my little time out, you know, from the whole world. I kind of like to enjoy doing this, you know, whatever it might be. It could be talking about other people. It could be sexual in nature. It could be pride. It could be anger. It could be all, a host of things that the Bible lists. Whatever it might be, it begins to kind of come up in our life. And, you know, it can really be ignored because it's just one little thing, right? And yet sin is not just one little thing. It's like a cancer. It's like kudzu. Because what kudzu does to take down a huge oak tree is simply cover it with its leaves. It doesn't break the oak tree in half. It doesn't have that kind of power. But if it can cover the tree, the tree won't get any sunlight. And if a tree doesn't get any sunlight, it'll die. You see, the analogy about sin is the same. It's the little things. And yet they block the sun the S-O-N, from our life. And we cannot live without the Son. It's impossible. We will die in our sins. You may once have been a strong tower. You will not if sin takes over. Haven't you seen even mighty Christians fall? Those we respect fall. Maybe they receive redemption Some did not. The Father is watching out for us. He's our husbandman. Jesus is our source of life. And He talks about love here. Who is the love between the Father and the Son? Not some fourth component to the Holy Trinity, no. Instead, love is the Spirit. When you have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, you have the love of God, the love of Christ. God's kind of love. Not the love of the world based upon feelings, based upon our own whims and desires, but instead covenantal, holy love. Love that never fails. That is the love 
we are called to participate in. It's the love that will prove that we are His disciples. Verse 8. How can we have that love? By remaining in Jesus. His presence. It's not something you can make up. It's not something you can manufacture. It must be given to you as a gift. And then, when you are abiding in Him, you will produce much fruit. It's an automatic response. Some of us have tried to produce fruit without His presence. We must have His presence. His presence is what is ultimate. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is a product. I want to end in this way. Yesterday we uh, went as a family to be with my mom in Decatur at Point Mallard Park. And we were walking around. And there was this really large field. Uh, I've not seen a field this big in a long time. Uh, that, was, that was not a crop field. Let me rephrase that. Trust me, where I live, there's mile-long, two-mile, three-mile-long crop field. I'm talking about just a, a grassy knoll where, where nobody's really doing anything on it. And so I walked across first. Um, you know, I couldn't go the slow pace that the dudes were, were walking, and so I, I took the wagon and pulled all the stuff toward the car. But when I got to the other side of the field, I looked back, and I realized that across that field, walking toward me, was everything I really care about. You know, <laughs> I mean, I could lose my house tomorrow, and that wouldn't really mean that much to me. Uh, I could lose my truck, which I really like. Um, I've never had a truck before until recently, and, and I really like it. I could lose that and sell it, whatever, and, you know, yeah, I mean, I'd be fine. But the people that were walking across that field that day, yesterday, that's really what I live for. That's why I go to work. That's why I try to be upright in my life. Um, and as I were walking to him, I just, you know, it was, a, it was a real sobering moment for me to know that people matter. Persons are what we really ought to be focused on, not things. And when we abide in Jesus, that's what he's doing. We're abiding in a person, not an idea, not a thing. We're actually participating in a holy family. Father, Son, Holy Spirit who invites us to have families of our own. To love them. And invites us ultimately into the family of God. I couldn't help but think after I thought about them, I thought about you all. I mean, we're a family. And we live not for ourselves, but for one another. And that means something. Because you know what? My pappy lived for his family. And so... His last words I heard over the phone before he stopped talking on his deathbed. And he told me and he told my boys that he loved us. His last words. Most people's last words have to do with love. Don't let it take you that long to realize how important love is. Not the love of the world, but the love of God. What you'll see is that we are called to live for others. That's the only way to live. 
That's the only kind of way of living that produces joy. Notice what Jesus says here. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants us to be joyful. And when I stood on the other side of that field and watched my family walk across, it was a joy that I could never have manufactured myself. I was surprised by joy in that moment. As C.S. Lewis has a book written, Surprised by Joy. You can't manufacture joy, but it can be a product of your love for Jesus and others. And when you do those two things, you're fulfilling all the law. All of it. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you love Him? Do you have that love I'm talking about? Because if you don't, today you can. That's the crazy thing. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go study 50 books. You don't have to be in church 100 years of your life. It can be given to you as a gift today. This very hour. If you'll go to Him. Amen.